Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, we're going to uh, discuss Hanukkah. We're going to discuss Yosef, which is always tied into Hanukkah because um, we're always reading about Yosef at Sadiq and, um, and the whole incident with the brothers and his, his, his rise, his fall, his, his, his meteoric rise after that. Um, all these are always read on Hanukkah, so there's, there's connections with that. Um, also, Hanukkah is taking place in the month of Kislev, and Kislev, very interestingly, um, Kabbalistically, every month has a different fixing. The fixing for Kislev is dreams, which is, um, or I'm sorry, is sleep. And sleep is very much tied to dreams, because dreams is sort of like the agency of, of, of Yosef. But we'll get more into all of these things. And then also this amazing verse from the Torah that I want to focus in on, which is, it says, um, it happened, it's, it's the beginning of Parsha's Miketz, it says, at the, at the end of two years to the day, Paro was dreaming that, behold, he was standing over the river. And then it goes into his famous dreams about the, uh, about the seven fat cows coming out of the Nile and being consumed by seven skinny cows, and then seven fat um, ears of corn being consumed by seven sort of withered ears of corn, and it goes through all these things. But it starts with these words, Vayhi Miketz, at the end of these two years. So we're going to analyze kind of like what these things mean and how they tie into the end of days and all the rest. So we've got a very big, big canvas, a big, big canvas to, to draw on. Um, thank God. It's always a giant, you know, when you, whenever you're learning Torah, it's just, it's just the limits. The only limitation is your degree of um, knowledge and imagination, right? Imagination, you know, it, it's funny because a lot of times um, imagination is, uh, there's a pejorative sense to it, you know, like sort of like, oh, you've got a big imagination, like you're imagining these things, right? But the reality is, is that there's, God is infinite. And in order to grasp levels of the infinite, you have to really expand your consciousness, which actually takes an imagination. So one's imagination actually becomes a tremendous asset, but then one just has to guide it in the proper way. Meaning to say you have to understand the parameters of, of what the earlier generations and the prophets and all the rest have handed down to us so that we don't um, misuse our imagination. But otherwise our imagination is like rocket fuel, which allows us just to grasp ever increasing level, levels of the infinite. Um, okay, so let's, um, let's just begin with this, with, with Yosef. And Yosef, uh, Yosef is this amazing, amazing figure. There's no one like Yosef, really. Yosef is like, we, by the way, a tzaddik is really like, like, really like the epitome, the ideal um, level that a person can reach. It's a, it's a holy person. It's a person who's really, you know, to, to the extent that we can say such a thing, perfected their, their attributes and um, is, is really kind of is in harmony with what God wants, right? And is a conduit for, for shefa and bracha, like heavenly flow and blessing into this world. It's connecting kind of the upper worlds and the lower worlds and things like this. So really a tzaddik is, is a great thing. And the only classical figure in the Torah, in Tanakh, who's called the tzaddik is Yosef. He's called Yosef HaTzaddik. Joseph, the, the, the righteous one, the, the holy one, you know, which is amazing that that, that appellation isn't, isn't given to Moshe or Abraham or anyone else. So there's a unique status to Yosef. And one of the amazing things about Yosef is that Yosef is, is very holy, but at the same time is able to negotiate and navigate this world in the most amazing, amazing way. He's able to um, basically go into Egypt. And while he's in Egypt, remember, he, at this point in history, I heard this from Reb Shlomo, a very interesting thought, like you don't really think of it in this, in, in, in this way so much. When Yosef was in Egypt, he was the only Jew in exile. Like, can you imagine there was a period in history where there was only one Jew in exile? And that was, and that was Yosef. Okay? 
Actually, you know, I have to say a P.S. to that because it always uh, bothers me whenever I say that, which is because the Medrash says that, you know, Dina, unfortunately, was, had that incident with Shechem, um, was raped, and um, they had a child. And that child was actu- actually went down to Egypt, and that child actually becomes the wife of Yosef. So I'm not exactly sure when she arrived on the scene in Egypt, but, but you know, his soulmate was there. And, um, you know, just as an aside, just as an aside, you know, I know that sometimes it's, or oftentimes it's very hard to get married. And you're looking and you're looking, where's my beshert, right? Where's, where's my husband? Where's my wife? Whatever it is. But... They're out there. And if you just think for a moment about Yosef, Yosef's the only one in exile who, he's thinking to himself, who would ever understand me? Who would ever understand me? And then meanwhile, like his niece, I guess, or his cousin or whatever it is, who's gone through maybe in even an equally traumatic, you know, life is, is there for him waiting to, to be his partner in life, you know? So... I remember when, when, um, when I started becoming observant, someone who I was close to at the time said, you're never going to find your wife. You're too weird. You know? <laughs> and it's like, you know, it's, it's Hollywood and this Jewish stuff. And how's that ever going to happen? You know, you're never going to meet anyone. So I was like, thanks. <laughs> you know, like, but I didn't believe him. I really, I didn't believe him. I'll tell, tell you another thing that used to give me a lot of comfort was... There's this um, creature that God created called the Leviathan. In, in English, we translate it as the Leviathan, which is an enormous, enormous whale. But I mean, I think, it's, I think it's probably way, way larger than any whale. God only made two of them. And he brought them down in the beginning of creation. And then God saw, you know, God knows everything, so he saw this before he even did it, obviously, but nonetheless, he brought down the two of them, and then he saw that if they reproduced, that basically their offspring would be so giant and mighty and powerful that they destroy the world. So he took one of them back up. And by the way, um, the Midrashim, the, the, the Midrash explains that in the end of days, that will be the meal for, for like the tzaddikim. Like, are we going to have enough food, right? Yes, because we've got this Leviathan waiting for us, which is going to be this huge banquet that we're going to have. And um, anyway, so he, he brought that one up. And, and I thought to myself at, at different times while I was looking for my wife and I was, you know, you know, bordering on despair at finding her, I said to myself, well, look, God brought down these two Leviathans into the world, knowing that they were going to destroy the world, right? And yet he still brought one down with its mate. Okay, then he took it back up. But he, I'm not going to destroy the world. <laughs> so so if this couple was going to destroy the world and God still brought the two of them down. How much more so did he certainly bring down my counterpart, right? So I used to come up with arguments like that in my head, you know, to keep myself normal. Um, so anyway, anyway, Yosef, Yosef is amazing because he's in this world um, and he's very holy, but he's not detached from the world. He, he's able to go down into the lowest land to be the only person in exile, right? Which is, you know, the most alienating kind of thing. Um, not being understood is, is very alienating, you know? And, um, you know, so he's able to, to not just exist in that environment, but to thrive in that environment. And, of course, he goes down into, um, in the lowest land, which is Egypt. He's able to go to the lowest place in the lowest land, which is prison in Egypt, and to still um, be successful. And then, of course, he rises to being um, just below the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, in this ancient civilization, which we still talk about today, right? It's still considered one of the greatest empires in, 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 in all of human civilization. And he's running it during a big crisis point, 
where it looks like there's this, where there's this big famine coming. And of course, anytime there's a famine, there's chaos because people, if, if rulers can't feed the people, then there's revolution. That's the way just human history works. So, and he's able to get the empire through that, that crisis point. So, in other words, from this you see that Yosef is able to deal with the nitty-gritty of this world in its most intense applications, and at the same time, somehow, be holy at the same time. It's, it's, it's amazing. There's no, one, there's no one like Yosef. No one like Yosef at that scale. Um, so, so what's, what's, what's very interesting now is that Yosef, the through line of Yosef, meaning to say like this, this, this one quality which runs through his life um, is dreams. And, you know, I, I was kind of playing with this phrase and I kind of liked it, so I'm going to share it with you, which is... Um, when miracles eat, they feed on dreams. When miracles eat, they feed on dreams. So there's this tie between dreaming and the miraculous. And, um, and if you look at the word, well, let's just track dreams through his life for a moment, um, just broadly. It's his dreams about his own greatness that he shares with his family that actually get them jealous and get him sold into slavery, right? So his dreams, so to speak, on some level, get him in trouble. But then it's his ability to understand dreams that allow him to rise to the heights of power because he interprets Pharaoh's dreams and he becomes, the, 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 runs the Egyptian empire. So this, this, this amazing thing of dreams. Now, now listen to this. this I, I, I thought I was really struck by this. I'm sure someone said it, but I, I don't remember hearing it from anyone. Which is, when Yosef interprets the dream of Pharaoh, right? What, what he's able to do is, he's able to see that there's a famine coming to the land. What is a famine? That means there's no bread. There's no wheat. What do you do with wheat? You make bread. Right? There's no bread. And, and, um, and he says, okay, so save up the bread. We'll have a surplus during the fat years. And then we'll be able to draw on it during the lean years. Okay? You want to hear something interesting? Chalom. Chalom is Hebrew for dream. If you rearrange the letters of chalom, you know what it spells? Lechem. Bread. <laughs> and interesting that... that he solved the crisis of bread, lechem, through chalom, through dreams. That interesting. And then something else that's, that I noticed, which is that um, when he's interpreting the dreams of the people around him in prison, right, which gives him this reputation, which then they carry to Pharaoh, and that's how Pharaoh finds out about him, because he's interpreting dreams in prison, the dream that doesn't work out for the baker, the baker gets executed, and Yosef informs him that that was the meaning of his dream. Isn't that interesting? What does a baker do? A baker cooks with bread. And the baker, who's in charge of bread, seemingly, at least in the palace, right, is going to be cut off, is going to die. In other words, bread is going to get cut off. So we're anticipating that theme of the canceling of bread, which is what famine is, right? In the prison, right before the, the other dreams come. So all these thematic things are all being sort of like set up for, um, for Yosef to, to harness, right? Now I want to make um, a couple more points on this, which is that just like in this, in this account, he solves the problem of lechem, meaning, which is bread, which is the famine that's coming. He solves the problem of lechem through chalom, right? Through, through dreams, through understanding dreams. On an individual level, how 
is Yosef able to survive this being in exile, being alone, being framed for this um, assault that he absolutely didn't commit, and in fact the opposite, he did the opposite of committing assault. Assault. He stayed far away from the uh, master of the house's wife, and yet he was still accused because she was so angry uh, that he had rejected her, um, and gets framed, and had... And he's withering away. Here's like the, one of the greatest people that's ever lived in all of history. And he's withering away in, alone in an Egyptian prison for, I don't know how many years, something like 12 years, something crazy, you know? Like, who could survive such a thing, you know? So, so chalom, dreams, is also the word lechem. In other words, his dreams, the dreams that he had when he was younger, that he was going to rise to greatness was the bread that fed him and allowed him to keep on going. So in other words, we are fed by our own dreams as well. What keeps us going? Our dreams. Right? That's what, that's what keeps us going. That's what kept him going as well. Because he understood that those dreams were, had a prophetic quality to them and that they were going to come true. And so he was able to hang on. Now, I want to make a point, because this is one of my favorite Devar Torahs um, of everything that I've ever learned. Um, so, another point, but just, just it's, it's, it's right here. So, Yosef was one of the people who was in charge of just the kind of the daily kind of functioning of the prison. Right? Now, you can imagine, like, just kind of use your imagination for a moment. What did an Egyptian prison look like? All right, especially at nighttime, you know, there was no electricity, you know, there was no, con- I don't know what it looked like, but I- I'm sure it didn't look great. And he's walking around, and one day he sees one of the prisoners, this, this was the, the baker and, the, and the, the head of the, you know, the head butler, and they're both freaked out, basically, because they both had these, like, very sort of, like, enervating dreams, and they don't know what to make of them. And Yosef is walking by, right? How many people were probably in this prison? Who knows? Probably a lot. He's walking by and he sees one of them has an upset look on their their face. And he walks up to him and he says, is everything okay? (laughs) And because he said, is everything okay? Because he walked up to this guy. What what do I care if if you're upset? You're in prison, I'm in prison. Right? At least I get to walk around a little bit. At least I've got a supervising position over here. But I'm also a prisoner. What do I care if you're upset? And you could be upset about any millions of things. It's none of my business. Yosef walks up to him. He says, is everything okay? And because he asks him that, he ends up interpreting his dream and the dream of his, his partner, right? And then he gets a reputation for develop for being able to interpret dreams, which is then told to Paro. And then he interprets Paro's dream. And by interpreting Paro's dream, he's able to save the entire world from starvation. Now let's backtrack, because let's understand the enormity of that. Because one person went up to another person and said, is everything okay? The entire world is saved. <laughs> I have the chills, I have the chills, just thinking about that. You see, we live in a society right now, which is, there is a cult of celebrity going on. Okay? It's like, if I'm not on the cover of People magazine, I'm nothing. I'm worthless, right? And what we don't realize is that every single person is enormously empowered. Every single person is enormously empowered. And it can be something as simple as walking up to another human being and saying, is everything okay? Which can have a ripple effect where literally the entire world gets saved. And every single one of us has that power. Every single one of us has that power. And you have no idea what the consequences of just expressing caring and love for another individual can lead to. And this is the classic example of how far it can go. It's an amazing thing, an amazing thing. So never say to yourself, ah, oh, what am I doing? Or, you know, what's anything that I'm doing worth or anything like that? 
Never ever say to yourself, uh, because that's just the Yetzirah. That's the, that's the evil inclination coming to you, trying to cut your legs off, basically. Just trying to make you feel small and nothing. But don't listen to it. It's very important. And remember this story. This is a very, very important story. Okay. So now let's keep on going. So Yosef rises to this amazing, amazing, amazing place. Now I want to go, I promised you we're going to go to um, the beginning of this Pasuk. Because it's really cool, I think. Because it's talking about, um, it's talking about the end of days, basically. Okay? So let's just do a, a quick study in cause and effect. See, one of the things that, if you want to really be like a, if you want to be for real, excuse me, if you want to live in reality, actual reality, one of the things that has to be rectified in terms of your um, logic basically, in, in terms of the way you think, is a proper understanding of cause and effect. Okay? So, most people think like this. Yosef's withering in prison, and then Pharaoh has a dream, and then because Pharaoh has a dream, Yosef gets released. This is what most people think. That's the order. That's the cause and effect. That's not the cause and effect. The cause and effect is like this. Yosef his time to be in prison is over. It says that at the end of these two years, because basically there's an incident at the end of there's an incident at the end of last week's parsha, where basically Yosef's time in prison is extended two years. Okay, we won't go into that right now. Um, but God decreed that it's going to be two years, and that's it. To the second after those two years came. Like to the second, like two years ended to the second, Paro has the dream. So it's not Paro has a dream and Yosef is released. It was time for Yosef to be released, so Paro has the dream. That, that's what it is. And we have to understand that in our lives too. Like a lot of times we think, oh, you know, I hope the business is successful. As though the business is God. And, you know, the business, which is God, is deciding whether or not I am worthy to be blessed by it. The business has no power. God has the power. God is going to decide whether the business is successful. And then, if God decides it's going to be successful, it's going to be successful. That's the cause and effect. Right? So, so, so there are many, many applications of that in our own lives. And, and we have to understand that. Basically, the bottom line is, is that we have to look to God for everything, right? And we can't put false power or we can't endow friends, family, um, co-workers, bosses, whatever it is, with a power that they don't have, right? We can't do that. We can't do that. You know, I remember there, I used to work for someone um, and this person used to really scare the daylights out of me, you know, they, he just did. They were perfectly great person, by the way, but just scared the daylights out of me. And and I, I really and then I'd feel bad that I'd get scared because I'd say, they're not God. What am I having any fear of another person for? You know? Like, you know what? I heard Rip Shlomo give a definition of someone who's God fearing. You know you know what the definition of being God fearing is? You're not afraid of people. That's it's a level, believe me. It's a level. So in fact it says, um, it says when, Yosef, when Yaakov is about to confront Esav and he's got his 400 soldiers and the last thing he heard from Esav was, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> and now this is like years later and it's like, yeah, maybe he forgot and he looks up and there's 400 soldiers. So it says Yaakov was scared and then the next thing it says was he felt bad. And one of the interpretations is he felt bad that he was scared. Because why should he feel scared of, of another person? Right? So as an exercise, I imagined a hula hoop around that person. <laughs> and I said, you know what? Their scariness goes that far and no further. <laughs> so when I imagined that they, were, that they had a, a boundary around to which they could actually affect the world around them, then that helped me. It helped me. You know, so so mikates. So mikates means the end. 
says, Vayihi Miketz. And at the end of these two years, Paro has this dream. And again, because the two years were up, that was decreed in heaven that Yosef would be in prison, because the two years were up, that's why Paro has the dream. Okay? Now, Miketz shares the same word. Kates. Kates means the end. And we often talk about the end of days. Kates hayamin means the end of days. And that means, that also means the end. So just like we have, so Miketz and Kates, it's the same word. Okay? Miketz was the end of the two years, right? But we also have this idea of the end of days. Kates hayamin. And so the Medrash over here, the rabbis make a very interesting connection. They, they say, hey, okay, Miketz and Kates are basically the same word. And it's, it says, in Eov, in Job, it says, Kates sam lechoshech, which means God, this is a, a verse from Job, God sets a limit to the darkness. And it goes on, and he investigates the end of everything, the source of gloom and the shadow of death. Okay, so what, what, what it says in Eov is understand that there is, a, there is a deadline. There's a deadline to all the darkness in this world. There's a deadline to all the gloom. There's a deadline to death. And at the end of that, at the Cates, it's all cut off and it returns back to light. Okay? So again, it's very resonant that we're learning this Parsha always, every year during Hanukkah. Because Hanukkah is, again, this time of darkness. It's the darkest time of the year. And, and, and God is telling us, no, no, no. Remember, remember, we, we, we had a whole talk on it last week. It's, if basically what we're doing is mirroring what went on in the Beis HaMikdash, in the Holy Temple on Hanukkah by, by lighting the menorah, Right? Well, they lit the menorah in the daytime in the Holy Temple. So why aren't we lighting the menorah with the blessing in the daytime in our house? If we want to parallel the historical event, why are we waiting till nighttime? You hear the question. That's, that's a big question. And it's not to give light to the darkness. Rabbi Freeman explained something much deeper. It's to show that the light never went away. <laughs> Even in the darkness, the light is always there. We're never alone. We're never alone. And remember, before God created the world, we have what we, one of the names of Hashem is Or Ein Sof, light without end. So the world doesn't begin with darkness, and then God says, Vayahi Or, let there be light. The world begins with light. And then there's a chapter of darkness, and then the light returns. Right? It's not the same quality of light. It's a much dimmer light, but it's a light. And then we'll get back to the ultimate light again. But the light never goes away. And again, of course, one of the great amazing things, the, in Kislev, Hanukkah starts on the 25th day of Kislev, on the Hebrew month of Kislev. And the 25th word in the Torah is the word or, which means light. <laughs> Yeah, and it's not just or, because or is mentioned many, many times in the, in the Torah. It's the or of vayahi or, let there be light. Like the great mention of light is, on the, is the 25th word of the Torah. Amazing. Shows you, obviously, how, you know, God foresaw all of history, you know, and that the Torah itself is a blueprint of all of history, even beyond the historical end of when the fifth book ends. Till, till this day, it's all in the Torah. Okay, so now let's keep on going on Vayihi Miketz. So, so, so the Medrash is telling you that there is, just like there was an end to Yosef's time in prison, which was a time of darkness, there is an end of darkness in this world. Okay? And an end of death in this world where everything returns back to light. Okay. So I want to go now. This is that's the end of the medrash. I want to go further in it, and this is now me talking, just so you can keep your sources straight. So I did an analysis of the word vayihi, 
uh, one time that I want to share with you. And it ties very much into um, the Pasuk, Vayhi Miketz. Um, so another way to read that is that there's going to be an end to Vayahi. Okay, because Miketz means an end, right? And so Vayahi, so what does Vayahi mean? Why do we want an end to Vayahi? Okay, so Vayahi means, and you know, and there was, right? So the Gomorrah in Megillah um, says that whenever you have a verse that begins with the word Vayahi, something bad is coming. Okay? And the question is why? Okay? And then whenever you have another word, which is a very similar word, uh, grammatically speaking, is Vahaya. Whenever you have the word Vahaya beginning a verse, something good is going to happen. Right? So, so, a while back, I looked at these two words, Vayahi, which is something bad is going to happen, Vahaya, something good is going to happen. And I thought to myself, maybe in the letters of those two words, you can see something that, that, that tells a story, right? <laughs> so I analyzed the two words, and I, I found something very interesting. The first thing I found was that they're completely spelled, 100%, both of those words, with letters used in the Yudke Vavke, in the holiest name of Hashem. Right? Yud, right? That's the Yud Kei Vav Kei. We say Yud Kei Vav Kei, but the real letters are Yud and He and Vav and He. And from those letters, you can spell Vayahi and Vahaya. What's the difference? Vahaya, which portends something good, is the exact spelling of Hashem's name, Yud and He and Vav and He, but rearranged. Okay? Vayahi, which spells something bad, it's the same letters, but there's a difference. There's two yuds and only one hay. <laughs> in the normal spelling, there's one yud and two hays. In Vayahi, which portends something bad, there's two yuds and one hay. Okay, so now we're getting a little bit closer. Now let's go a little bit further with this. Now remember, whenever we analyze the yud kei vavke, I always recommend that we do it from top down, because it's like a map of the cosmos and all the worlds, okay? So you have yud on top, that's like the source of all light, right? So you have Yud, and below that, He, and then below that, Vav, which draws down the light to the bottom He. And the bottom He stands for this world, this dimension. And I learned from Reb Shlomo that He is a vessel, right? Remember when Sarai, Sarai can't have children, right? Sarai, God changes the Yud into a He at the end of her name. Now she has a vessel. Now, now she's able to have kids, right? Yud is like so high. It's like she's like this angelic creature and God brings her back down to earth, so to speak, by, by changing the dynamics of her name, the DNA, so to speak, of her being. Um, so you have Yud and then below that hey, Vav, and then below that hey, that bottom hey stands for this world. And that's the vessel that's holding all the worlds above it and all the light above it, okay? So now, in your normal, balanced presentation, you have one yud and two hays. Because you can imagine, the source of God's light is so enormous, you need a lot of vessels to hold it. So you have two hays, right? So that's the good situation. So Vahaya, you've got one yud and two hays, everything is good, good times. Vayahi, very interesting. Vayahi, two yuds and only one hay. What are you going to do? There's so much light and I can't hold the light. You see, and that portends bad times. Now listen. It says in Gomorrah Bruchas that really, since God is good and everything that comes from God is good, right? Really, we should make the same blessing over hearing good news and bad news. Because if everything is good, then even if it seems bad, I know God is good and he means good by it. So I should make the same blessing over bad news as good news. But the Gomorrah, and this is a beautiful insight into Judaism right here, the rabbis say, you know what, but we're human beings. <laughs> we're human beings. It's bad news. My heart is broken. How can you tell me to make the same blessing? So the, the rabbis say, okay, so you'll make a different blessing. But really, ideally speaking, we should make the same blessing because everything is good. 
So now we get into the spiritual mechanics of how everything is good. Because Vayahi, which portends something bad, it's two yuds, which is enormous light, and only one he. Meaning to say, what is a bad occurrence? This is a new definition of what a bad occurrence is. It is good, it's just I don't have vessels to hold the light. See, my, either my personality hasn't been refined enough that I'm able to integrate this event in a positive way, or my relationships, or the world itself is just not holding at a place where it can receive this as something positive. There's no, there's no vessels for it. There's not enough vessels to hold that light. So now, with this in mind, let's return back to the Pasuk. What does Miketz mean? Remember, Miketz means an end. Like we say, at the end of these two years, Yosef got out of prison. And we say, Ketz Hayamim, at the end of days. Right? And the Pasuk in Eov says, uh, what is it? Ketz Sam Lechoshech. That, that there's going to be an end to all darkness. Okay? So now let's go back to this Pasuk. It says, Vayahimi Ketz. So I want to say on this, that there's going to be an end to all the Vayahis. There's going to be an end to a time when we don't have the vessels to hold the light. There's going to be a time when we will have the vessels to hold the light. And I want to say something else. Yosef is gematria tzion. That means it's the numerical equivalent, which means it shares his spiritual DNA. Um, you know, on one level, even though Yosef at one point was the only Jew who was in exile, isn't it interesting that the gematria of his name is Zion, which is basically another name for Yerushalayim? So even when he was out of Israel, he was, his whole essence was tied to Zion, right? Because Yosef and Zion are the same name. A beautiful thing. Like Rabbi Nachman says that wherever a Jew walks, he's walking toward Israel. Even if he's walking in the opposite direction, he's still <laughs> heading toward Israel. So, so I want to say further, and then maybe we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up. Which is that if Yosef is Zion, right? That there's going to be a Kates, there's going to be an end where the power of Zion is held in prison. In other words, there's going to be a time where Yosef, who is Zion, is Gematria of Zion, there's going to be a Kates, an end to which that power of Zion is contained. And, and there will come a time where that Zion, the power of the light of Torah and the Jewish people, will be released and revealed in the entire world. And you know, a lot of nations, their eschatology, it's a fancy word that means end, end of days uh, understanding. Their eschatology is that basically, and then it turns out we were right, and then we kill everyone, you know? <laughs> That's not us, and it's not the truth. It's not, that's not going to happen. We, we don't, that's not our goal. Yay, we can't wait to, that's not our goal. Right? Our, our, our goal is just that the oneness of God should be revealed. That the world should be complete. That God should, should see the completion of his creation where his oneness is revealed and we understand just the interconnectedness of everything and the beauty and the truth of everything. Okay. Happy Here are some questions and answers. Yeah, it's the it's the it says it's the fixing of sleep. What does that mean? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you know, the ideal way of sleeping is that is that you have in mind that um, you're sleeping in order to um, to get strength to be able to serve God better. A bad way of sleeping would be that um, 
I'm, I'm running away from the world. <laughs> you can rest from the world. <laughs> but the idea that, that, that sleep is, is, is an escape, it's, it's, a, it's a chance to recharge to be able to do more, you know. And then you get to rest also. There's nothing wrong with resting. You know, very interesting sleep. The Medrash explains that, that um, when God created Adam, that the angels couldn't tell um, uh, man apart from God because man had free choice and, and, and the ability to do things. And, you know, there were so many similarities to what God can do. So God said, okay, well, to help you out, I'm going to have human beings sleep a portion of every day. And then when you see that they're like just laid out, then you'll understand there's a difference between human beings and God. So I, I remember in, back when I was holier, <laughs> I, before I take a rest, I'd sometimes think of that medrash and I'd say, not that anyone's having any trouble distinguishing between me and you. <laughs> I'm having it in mind that I'm sleeping, you know, also in fulfillment of the purpose of sleep, you know. <laughs> Go ahead. Can you take that into the Yosef <coughs> analogy of Yosef being Sion? Oh, to do that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that one. I, I forgot like, about that one. Yeah, sure, sure. Direction. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, okay so. Can I say before you yeah, ahead? yeah. I think Antiochus is the same thing as Yosef. Yeah, it is. Which one? Antiochus. Antiochus, yeah. Yeah, I think so, 156. Wow, very interesting. Very interesting. So, Yosef, Yosef was one of the most beautiful people. I'm talking about physically. He was physically one of the most beautiful people that have ever been, that have ever lived, that have ever been created. It said that, like, women would, like, like, hang over walls, and then they'd be, like, doing, like, they'd be, like, peeling, like, you know, potatoes or fruit or whatever it was, their kitchen activities. And when he'd go by, they'd keep on peeling and they'd just like start peeling the skin off their fingers. Like just because they'd be so mesmerized by his beauty. He was gorgeous, like beyond gorgeous. Okay. Um, So, um, and yet incredibly moral, like amazingly moral, which was, and, and by the way, when Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him, I, I learned that, it, don't think that was a simple test. It was like, a, the way it was described to me was, it was like a hundred lions tearing at his flesh in terms of the degree of temptation that he had to fight. You know? It said she would change her clothes five times a day to entice him. You know? It was really intense. So you have like, just, it just a, a small taste of his greatness. But anyway... So um, another place where you see beauty in this world is Yavan. Yavan is Hebrew for Greece. And of course, when you think of classical Greek architecture and things like that, the, 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 the Greeks had a beautiful um, notion of symmetry and proportion and things like this. So they were very great when it comes to beauty. Now, if you look at the word Yavan in Hebrew, it's very, very interesting. It's the letter Yud, which is a straight line. It's a short line. Yud, Vav, which is a longer line, also a straight line. And then the final Nun, which is the longest line, but also straight. So you have three straight lines in order. And so, again, you have a, a, a sort of like, like, a classical, like a classical composition in terms of the way the word itself looks, Okay. So the, but the problem with Yavan, just in and of itself, is that there is no morality that surrounds it, which, which elevates it, right? So what's so interesting is, comes along Yosef, who's the tzaddik, and tzaddik is the, you know, the righteous holy one. Tzaddik is so interesting because tzaddik is not just a, a word, right? But it's also a letter in the Hebrew alphabet. So if you take the word tzaddi, tzaddik, right? And you put it in front of Yavan, right? Because Yavan means Greece. That's like this, this type of beauty. But it's a type of beauty that doesn't have any moral parameters to it. If you put the letter Tzadik, which stands for Yosef, in front of Yavan, it spells the word Sion. And Sion is the gematria, the numerical equivalent of Yosef. So Yosef is the embodiment 
the embodiment through his tzitkis, through his righteousness, of all of this beauty, but it's all of this beauty with the additional dimension of, of, of morality to it, and then that forms Zion, which is Yerushalayim, which is sort of like the, the, the classic coming together of heaven and earth. Is it, is it, I know, most, mostly when they talk about it, it's, it's the yeah. area of uh, this particular yeah, If anyone has to leave, by the way, feel free to go. Yeah. With the wife of Potiphar, but with a Sadiq, I, I don't know, to me, it's like uh, someone who's mastered not just one area. So, I mean, is it talked about? Well, it so says, it, what do you mean, one area, one area? You know, like, okay, this was the, the fact that he overcame his temptation and all that. Right. That's a big, big thing, right. especially for, right. you know, for, for the male. Right. But, uh, I, you know... No, that's I, just one area. Remember, he, it says that Yaakov Avinu taught Yosef everything, everything Yaakov knew he, he taught to Yosef. So he was a tremendous Torah scholar. Tremendous. Can you imagine learning everything from Yaakov Avinu? And Yaakov, was, that was his private student. He would teach him alone, apart from the brothers. So he would tell him everything. So in other words, he would, just another aspect of his greatness, of Yosef's greatness, you know, was that he knew tr- tremendous oceans of Torah. Including so, physical you know? Torah, like changing the existence of spotted and speckled sheep. That's Yaakov, animal right. Animal husband, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, the information right. he had. It was like the deepest world... Physical and spiritual. Yeah. So when they say sadik, they're not just uh, this particular area. I no, no, no. General, right. I mean, you know, that was a one area where he, but but remember, he also ran a government. And he never got bitter. He ran a government, and also, yeah, he didn't get bitter when his brothers, when 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 he yeah. confronts yeah. his brothers, yeah. and finally everything comes down, and they're talking like he's not hiding as this, you know, this magistrate, you know, and. And they were like, and he says to them, it's okay, this, this was God's plan. But can, I can you imagine they sell him into slavery? They sell him into slavery. And he's like, it's okay, it was God's plan. Like the ability to forgive on that level is beyond. That's beyond. Go ahead. Yeah, like, um, especially people can picture the tzaddik as an old man, you know, sitting in yeshiva, Right. And Johnny Charlton is, is a Tariq. Yosef was a green man, but the Tariq is maybe Yitzchak, who never left Eretz Israel and learned all his life and was a real Tariq. But the truth is, no, the Torah is saying, that's a Tariq. He goes out of Israel. Right. He's all by himself. He figures things out. He marries a woman just like him, who's also lost. They don't have family. They, they, they show the world the truth. That's a Tariq. Yeah. That's, that's Yosef. He's the one who takes us to the next level. Yeah. So people, maybe his general understanding of a Tariq, right. the Torah is saying, you know. Yosef, right. the beautiful man, right. by running government. Yeah. Rem- remember, rem- uh, off of what you're saying, um, remember, we are into integration. This is what we want. We want balance. We want integration. We want to integrate this world and the next world. We want to integrate, you know, like, your, the, your inside, like your best intentions, but with your actions, your inside and your outside should be integrated, right? These teachings should be integrated so that it's not like this weird kind of like, what, what is this? You know what I mean? But it's like there's this flow in terms of regularity, you know, all, all sorts of things like this. So Yosef is really like the greatest example of total integration in terms of this world and Kedusha and holiness, you know? Yeah. It seemed on uh, Greece that that kind of smaller to larger progression yeah. and the orderliness of it and the beauty of it have great value. That, yeah, sure. That this is the way a mind can work with reason right. and, and understanding yes. and also beauty yes. and, 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 and balance. However, it takes the tzaddik, you're saying, to give it real depth of meaning and significance. Well, not not real depth depth of meaning and significance because it has depth of meaning and significance by on its by itself. Beauty and, and but, grace. But but what it needs is it needs um it needs a moral foundation in which to thrive in, right? Um. So that's that's we we don't. <coughs> 
we say that there's basically there's just sort of like this um this this harmony to this to the world, and um, you know it's sort of like um, every creature has a a path in life. For instance, like um, like like the Eskimos know that that like the salmon, like at a certain point in the year, the salmon part of their kind of just their mating or whatever it is, they 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 swim up stream at a certain time during the year and they know where to catch the salmon and things like that. Like all sorts of like the, the sparrows of San Capistrano, they, swallows. you know, right? Swallows. What did I say? Sparrows. sparrows swallows. Yeah. They, they, um, at a certain time in the year, they're, they're always there. There are all sorts of migratory patterns and all sorts of, all sorts of life cycle things that take place. And, and human beings have that also. But the thing is, is that human beings, because we have the Torah, we have this we have this. Um, we have this pathway. That's what halacha means. Halacha is translated as Jewish law, but that's a very sort of like um, that's a very unfriendly translation of what halacha is. Halacha really means a flow. Halacha shares the same word as holech, which, which means to walk. How am I going to walk through this world? Okay. So halacha means like the divine flow. That that harmonizing. Um, framework, which puts me in touch with how I'm supposed to interact with this world and God and myself, by the way, okay? So, so, so we, need, we need that structure. The, the only difference between us and the rest of creation is we have free choice and we have the ability to deny that all of this is true. You see, we are no less given... Um, patterns and everything like that, like every other creature that's been created. But we have the ability to say none of this is true. You know? That, that, so, so, so when you talk about Yavan and Sion, between, say, secular beauty and secular wisdom and Torah, secular wisdom is wisdom. The Torah itself calls it wisdom, but the Torah says it's not Torah, though. Torah is the most encompassing definition of the greatest harmony between us, how we're created, and how we're supposed to interact with the world for our own benefit and for the world's benefit, okay? And without that, it falsely empowers people to be able to run amok in this world. And that's the, that's the dark side to Yavan. That's the dark side to Yavan and to Esav, and that's war and destruction, okay? Or licentiousness, when it becomes... Um, when it allows itself to uh, get out of its own proper context, right? So Tzion comes to harmonize those energies and to put us in sync with the ultimate reality. Joseph starts a little bit narcissistic and whatever and then blossoms. I've heard a lot of people describe it that way. I don't know. I mean, look, he was so much better than I am. Why does someone who's so much better than I am want me discussing them? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? Honestly, it's like you know, it's it's inappropriate for me to you know to 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 speak about him in that way. He's so much greater than I am. It's it's laughable. So why all, why do you care about what I think? But we look you know? at all biblical heroes as flawed characters, and that's part of our okay. Tradition. So you can reach your own conclusions. <laughs> Even the great Sonic has to develop, right? I mean, yeah, he 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 clearly develops over the over the course of the account, you know. But look to the great commentators, not to me, for that. Oh. <laughs>